Welcome to God's Truth. I'm your instructor, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we continue to flood the world with God's truth. We welcome you today as we continue to explore the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just last week, we saw Jesus take on the false religious leaders of his own day in that great speech in Matthew 23, where something like they called them something like 11 different names. He condemned them to hell and was really, uh, you know, really direct with them. This week, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24. This, of course, is the great one where the last discourse he gives prior to his death, in which he's going to foretell the future. And we'll be looking here at a couple of things, including uh, uh, we're going to be focusing here on Joseph Smith, Matthew. Uh, it's comparable to... Uh, Matthew chapter 24. If you don't know what Joseph Smith Matthew is, don't worry about it at this time. In future lessons, we'll we'll describe and discuss it. Uh, for now, just turn to your Bibles to chapter 24. Know that some of our verses uh, will be a little bit off guard, a little bit uh, different, uh, but just uh, you can stay your be- uh, try your best to stay along with us. Matthew 24, as we feast upon the words of Jesus Christ today. And as one of his witnesses, I testify that he lives. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. He died for the sins of the world. He sits enthroned at the right hand of our heavenly father in splendor and in glory. And with the angels round about their throne, shouting hallelujah and hosanna to the lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Here we go. Let's look at Matthew. Joe Smith Matthew, or stay with Matthew 24 here. And we'll first look at actual Matthew 23:39. And this is what we read. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Right? So let's turn now and see what we learn here in the Joe Smith. Matthew, so once again, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth. I'm about to be killed. I'm about to be crucified for the sins of the world. You will not see me again till you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So that's the the traditional text that we have came down to us. Let's look here at Joe Smith, Matthew, and we're going to get a little bit further light and knowledge through prophetic revelation. And we'll read in... uh, in verse 1. And so verse 1 is Matthew 23, 39, and a more uh, bring to pass uh, the further light and revelation and knowledge. Jesus says, For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth, and know that I am he of whom it is written by the prophets, until you should say, now watch this, Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Now watch this. In the clouds of heaven and all the holy angels with him, then understood his disciples that he should come again on the earth after that he was glorified and crowned at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. Look at that. Did you see that? We're right back to the UFO phenomenon in the Bible. And Joseph Smith Jr., the prophet of the restoration, has actually brought forth an additional uh, the additional verse of scripture, an additional reference to the clouds of heaven. Now, 
it's tough in this kind of the social media that we have people always coming in and joining with our lessons and they've missed all the past, you know, three years of, of stuff. Right. But, you know, as we've looked at all along, right. These are some sort of unidentified flying object, whether they're parallel to what we currently have the hundreds and thousands of witness testimony of things flying around in their skies today, or whether they're even more advanced than that, we just don't know. We know that the current phenomenon that we see have been tracked by U.S. naval radar that they can go from 30,000 feet down to hover over sea 30,000 feet in less than one second, 0.78 second. That is more than 40 uh, Mach, right? Uh, most uh, The human body can only withstand eight Gs, right? Only eight Gs with the special design suit, right? They can go 40 Gs, right? Obviously, there's some sort of resurrected personage behind that. It's not a human that we have a human body or they would be squashed into the floor or walls or whatever. They can go and they can turn immediately right angle, turns immediately like nothing flat. They can appear and disappear and all this sort of stuff, right? We read in Psalm 68, 17, that God had 20,000 of these back in the days of David, right? 1,000 BC. So 3,000 years ago, he has over 20,000 of these. Some have suggested that 20,000 in Hebrew is not an actual number. That 20,000 is just kind of like an infinity. It's like it's just like it's a large number, but it could be way more than 20,000. Now, of course, if they've been building additional ones in the last 3,000 years, they could also be with a lot more of these. We see these things showing up over and over again in the Old Testament, into the New Testament. We have, uh, some are able to describe it better. We have Elijah describing the chariot of fire. With, obviously, he did not, obviously, Elisha, who follows Elijah and who witnessed this, did not see uh, a flying horse, <laughs> a flying horse and a flying chariot flying through the skies, land, pick up Elijah and fly off to the heavens, right? They don't have the terminology for airplanes. They, they don't know what those are. It hasn't been developed yet in those days. They don't know helicopter. They're dealing with very limited vocabulary. The best that Elisha could say was, it looked like a chariot. It was a transportation vehicle, is what Elisha tried to say. It's a transportation vehicle that came down, got Elijah, and flew off to the heavens, right? Ezekiel, Ezekiel later describes these uh, flying chariots, flying clouds, and those are the two most common used words for them, the, the clouds uh, of heaven and Many witnesses have seen silver cloud-like objects. That's how they still describe them today in 2023, that they look like some kind of cloud-like object, right? So we've got, um, you know, they, they've seen those. So we see the clouds. We, we just saw the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, where God speaks from the out of the cloud, right? That a cloud comes and overshadows Jesus, Peter, James, and John, right? And God speaking, right? Well, God doesn't go around speaking in clouds. I'm, I'm sorry to break that to you. A lot of uninformed, uneducated people, they see these kinds of verses in the scripture. They get upset and say, well, you know, the Bible's silly and ridiculous because they got these flying clouds transporting people around, God speaking from clouds. No, what's uneducated and what's foolish is you, my friend. 
you have to, when you look at the biblical text, you have to look at it through the eyes of the ancient peoples that are writing these texts. They don't have vocabulary to describe what they're seeing. They're doing their best. So they say a cloud. We're going to later on see in the beginning of Acts that Jesus is going to be caught up into a cloud, fly off, and then the, the apostles are still looking up into the heavens. And, and what happens? The, the angels appear and they say, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus that you just saw go up in the cloud and fly off will one day come back in the cloud, you know, land here on the Mount Olives, right? So it's interesting here, Joseph Smith, it, this is not in the the handed down traditional Matthew 23, 39. We do have the clouds of heaven in several locations here in the New Testament. Joseph Smith, in his translation, adds an additional reference to these unidentified flying objects of the clouds of heaven, that blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord in the clouds of heaven. We're going to see further reference today's lesson about these things. And all the holy angels with him and their additional 20,000 plus, we'll just say plus, 20,000 plus of these vehicles, right? In the book of Revelation, they describe them that the angels are riding on horses. Well, again, I'm sorry to break it to you. Angels don't fly through the skies. The angels are not riding on horses. But John is doing his best to describe what he saw. He saw these angels coming on flying the vehicles. So just as you use a horse for transportation, he says the angels are coming down. Jesus riding on the white horse. Ooh, interesting, right? We know these are cloud-like looking objects. They're silver to white in color, right? Jesus riding on the white horse, right? Not an actual white horse flying through through heavens, right? Not a Santa Claus flying with some reindeer through through the heavens, right? They're coming back on these on these uh, flying vehicles. Okay, so Joe Smith adds, clouds of heaven and all the holy angels with him. Then they understood that Jesus would come back to the earth and that he'd be glorified and crowned at the right hand of God. Okay, now let's continue through verse 11 too. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. So it's last week, he keeps teaching in the temple. He keeps departing each night to go over to Bethany to stay with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And to his and, um, and his disciples came to him for to hear him saying, Master, show us concerning the buildings of the temple. As thou hast said, they shall be thrown down and left unto you desolate. You already warned that this, this uh, temple is going to be destroyed. And Jesus said to them, See not all these things, and do ye not understand them? Verily I say unto you, There should not be left here upon this temple one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Literally fulfilled in 70 AD when Titus and Vespasian's armies come to town, to Jerusalem. They destroy the temple completely, destroy the city. Literal fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy here roughly 40 years earlier. And Jesus left them and went upon the Mount Olives. And as he sat upon the Mount Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, which thou hast said concerning the destruction of the temple, and of the Jews, and what is the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world, or the destruction of the wicked, which is the end of the world? So they understand the end of the world being the destruction of the wicked. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. 
And many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that remaineth steadfast and is not overcome, the same shall be saved. So again, being faithful to God's commandments, even in the, in the face of persecution, then you shall be saved. In verse 10, boy, has that been fulfilled in today's world. Just read the headlines in the newspapers. Because iniquity shall bound, the love of many shall wax cold, right? We're in a very contentious society, very contentious world now where everyone's fighting each other. The love of many shall wax cold. Literally fulfilled prophecy once again of Jesus Christ. False prophets shall rise. They see many. We see many false religious leaders in our own day, just as he had to deal with in his day, leading astray many souls from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look now at, uh, so then he next further tells about the destruction of the Jews in Jerusalem. And then we'll pick up in verse 19. All things which have befallen them, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem, they're being cast out of the city. Uh, in 135, they, 132 to 135, the Bar Kokhba revolt, they put up one more final resistance. Uh, that gets uh, squashed as well, and they get deported throughout and banished from Jerusalem for the next nearly 2,000 years. It says, these things are only the beginning of the sorrows which shall come upon the Jewish people. Since then, they were persecuted throughout the last 2,000 years. Ultimately, the greatest persecution being that of uh, leading with the uh, World War II and the, um, and the destruction and the mass killing of you know several million uh, Jewish people, uh, literally, once again, fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus Christ. These, remember, we have these Gospels going back nearly 2,000 years, right? So <laughs> 2,000 years prior to World War II, this is what we're reading, what Jesus said here in Matthew 24. Let's look now at um, 21 through 26. Behold, these things I have spoken to you concerning the Jews. And again, after the tribulation of those days, which shall come upon Jerusalem, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, don't believe him. That's not how Christ is coming. For in those days there shall also rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show even great signs and wonders and do miracles. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect who are the elect according to the covenant, the actual members of the church and kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, many of them shall be deceived by these false prophets and false Christs that shall arise. Behold, I speak these things unto you for the elect's sake, and you also shall hear wars and rumors of wars. How many wars have we had this last century? See that you be not troubled, for all I have told you must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore they shall say unto you, Behold, Christ is in the desert, in the desert, don't go there. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Don't believe that either. Why? How does Christ come back? He's going to answer that question right now in 26. He's not going to just suddenly show up in the wilderness, in the desert, show up in someone's closet, right? This is how he's coming. 26. For as the light of the morning cometh out of the east and shineth unto the west and covereth the whole earth, so shall also 
the coming of the Son of Man be. So as Christ comes back with the chariots of heaven, with these flying vehicles, these clouds, as he comes back with thousands of angels, it will be, and with lights shining, it will light up the whole entire sky. He will be coming out of the east and shineth unto the west. Then you know that Christ has come back to the earth, not because he showed up in someone's house in their closet in the wilderness, ridiculous things like that. Okay, now let's look at 28 through 37. And they shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Behold, I speak for mine elect's sake, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be shall, there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. We continue to see more and more earthquakes each year as traced by uh, the um, geological um, um, uh, organizations. And again, because iniquity shall abound, the love of man. Again, trying to point out once again, you'll know the day's coming when you see that everybody hates each other and always fighting each other. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of man shall wax cold. But he that shall not be overcome, the same shall be saved. And again, this gospel, this one, not one of the gospels of Jesus Christ, one of the Christian uh, churches, right? This one. I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? There's only one. Paul said, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations. And then what happens? Then the end shall come, or the destruction of the wicked. When does the end or the destruction of the wicked come? When this gospel shall be preached in all the world. So how do we know that's not the Roman Catholic Church. Well, probably Roman Catholic Church probably been now preached in every nation of the world. Have we seen the destruction of the wicked? No. How about Protestant Christianity? That's probably now reached every nation in the earth. Have we seen the end of the world and the destruction of the wicked? No. So obviously this gospel refers to something other than Orthodox traditional Christianity being brought by the Catholics and the Greek Orthodox. And it's also something other than Protestant uh, Christianity. This indeed is his gospel, as he says, his gospel. The only church in all the world in which he says is his church, is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Once the message of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is preached in all nations, then shall the end of the world be then shall the destruction of the wicked be brought about. The church is not yet in all the nations of the earth. Therefore, we have not yet seen that. Okay, so continuing 32. And again, shall the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet be fulfilled. We've seen that before in other contexts. That's talking about the, the, the removal of the true church of Jesus Christ from the earth. We know from the Bible that that took place in the year 570 A.D. That's according to also through uh, looking at Daniel in the light of the book of Revelation. And we'll look at that later as we get to the book of Revelation this year. And, and so once that takes place, once the gospel is removed from the earth, before it's restored to the earth, which it was in 1830, 33, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from the heavens, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. 
Now, I've seen this before multiple times. What are they referring to? They're referring to prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the earth will be moved out of its present location. It will go back close to the presence of God and start, start once again revolving around the star Kolob. Now, Kolob is not where God lives, despite people who try to sensationalize claims and attack true Christianity and attack the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it's a star nearest to the throne of God. So wherever God is, you got close there somehow, close, near is the planet Kolob. The earth originally when it was created was revolving around Kolob. When Adam and Eve fell, the earth went shooting back out to its present location. Once the before prior to the second coming, earth goes back to the presence of God, revolving once again around a Kolob. Therefore, the moon shall not give her light. Why? Because we've far shot past the moon. Now we're far away from the moon. Uh, the sun shall be darkened. Yeah, the, you can't see the sun anymore. Just black darkness where the sun used to be because we, the earth has moved. The stars are falling from the heavens. Why? Because it will look that way as the earth is shooting up into the, into the you know, the, to a new location in the universe. They will appear as though the stars are falling from the heavens. 34, verily I say unto you, this generation in which these things shall be shown forth. In the Bible, sometimes when they keep talking about this generation, a lot of people get confused and thought of, and think it's talking about in the generation that was alive when Jesus was here, you know, his first time, you know, 2,000 years ago. And then they think that, well, Jesus must not really be the Son of God. He must not be the Messiah, must not be a prophet, because how did he not know that that generation was not going to experience these things. No, that's just the corruption in the text, whether in that case intentionally or not. That's not what Christ truly said. That's not what he was trying to imply. What he's saying is, this generation in which they shall see the earth move back to revolving around the star Kolob, those who witness that, that generation shall not pass away until all that Jesus has told you shall be fulfilled. Although the days will come, the heaven and earth shall pass away. Yet my words shall not pass away, but shall all be fulfilled. Every word that Jesus Christ spoke and prophesied up will come to pass. And as I said before, after the tribulation of those days and the powers of heaven shall be shaken, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So again, going back, right? Here we go again, guys, right? So the sign of heaven we already saw before, and we're going to see it here again is when Jesus comes back with his angels in these flying vehicles. He says, and uh, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they, and they shall see the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Again, they're not riding on physical clouds, like the clouds you see when you look out your window. These are just cloud-like looking objects that they don't have the vocabulary to explain. There's some sort of flying vehicle that transports Jesus and the angels all the way to the, from the time of Moses. You guys can go back and watch all our videos, right? You know, if they come across the same theme dozens of times since since the, the days of Moses up to the present to here 
getting towards the end of Matthew, we're going to still see it in Acts, we're going to still see it in the book of Revelation, and in the, several of the epistles as well. Coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great, great glory, and whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. The only ones who get deceived as to the true doctrine of Jesus Christ are those who don't actually read the Bible. Those who read the Bible understand the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. Being deceived and believing false forms of Christianity is proof of your ignorance and proof of your uh, biblical illiteracy that you're not studying the scriptures. You study the scriptures, you understand the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, those who are studying the scriptures will not be deceived. For the Son of Man shall come, and he shall send his angels before him with the sound, great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together the remainder of his elect from the four quarters of the wind, from one end of heaven to the other. Now let's look at 38 through 43. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When its branches are yet tender and it begins to put forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh at hand, right? It's clear that they're growing and therefore summer is coming. So likewise, mine elect, when it shall see these things, earth going back to the presence of Kolob, they shall know that he is near even at the doors. That should be pretty obvious. But of that day and hour, when Christ actually comes forth with these clouds, no one knoweth, no, not the angels of God in heaven, but my Father only. This has reference once again, where even Jesus Christ does not know the time. I don't think the Heavenly Father knows the exact date and hour. He's looking for certain conditions on the earth, and when he sees those conditions, that's when these things will come to pass. So it's not like Jesus is ignorant and doesn't know, and the angels are not totally ignorant and don't have any idea the day and hour. It's that the Father, the Father is going to make a decision once he sees the conditions of what he's looking for to then initiate this part of the plan. 41. But as it was in the days of Noah, hallelujah, here we go. So it shall be also at the coming of the Son of Man. There's been a lot of books. The last few years written about this, a lot of um, uh, people speaking on this subject. This goes back to the genetic engineering that took place with the watchers of heaven back in Genesis 6, elaborated further in the book of Enoch and Jubilees and uh, as to the fallen angels that came down, the 200 that came down upon Mount Hermon, had sex with the daughters of mankind, produced these giants in the land, they revealed all kinds of knowledge to the ancient uh, peoples, uh, including the uh, Enoch. Is, Enoch says here, the book of Enoch, that the mixing of species, right? It literally says that they were mixing species. That's why you have in the caves and the different pictures that have survived throughout history, you have those, those hybrid animals and so forth and the, the man, man head and the you know, like a horse body and all these sort of things. And that's why all the earth was corrupt in the days of Noah. And God had to wipe them all out and start over. That's why it mentions in the Bible that Noah was perfect in his generation, right? They finally created um, a human at that point 
that was without blemish, that was a pure human. And so they started again with Noah and his family to repopulate the earth after having de destroyed it because of what these evil angels had, had fallen from heaven and, and had done to the earth. We see that they're locked up in the valleys of the uh, mountains and, uh, and for 70 generations. Uh, the uh, Bible, the Old Testament, describes that as 70 years, 70 years per generation. So that's 4,900 years. That would have been sometime around the year 1900. What has happened since then, right? And, uh, we've seen a lot of uh, evil spirits unleashed upon the world coming forth from the, from the night uh, starting from the 1900s on witchcraft now and and uh, wizardry and all kinds of uh, devil worship has all come forth since the 19 uh, you know since 1900 and the fulfillment that it looks to be that they're being temporarily let out and released they're going to mix with uh, with these uh, uh, with, with Satan and his one third that fell from the heavens and uh, ultimately trying to make war once again against God in the battle of Armageddon in which God will do, to do, destroy them. And uh, also do we get that final time at the end in the battle of uh, Gog and Magog in which in Revelation, when we get to it later on this year, we'll see that God's going to send out some fire, some big nuclear type of bomb and just basically wipe them out, uh, their armies that they put together. So there's a lot there. We could go in far, much further detail about it, but we don't want to get too far off their, uh, our, our lesson here today. Uh, but uh, that's kind of what we're um, talking about here in the days of Noah. And so we see today, right, how many recent news articles have we seen over the last few years in which scientists today are trying to make hybrids, right, and try to you know, do this kind of stuff, just like it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the end time. We are seeing that with modern day uh, science of what the scientists are trying to produce in the laboratories. And, uh, but yeah, right, here we go in 42. But even when all that was going on, this uh, cross-mixing of the species, they acted like life was normal, right? They said that they were uh, marrying and, uh, let's see, here we go. For it shall be with them as it was in the days which were before the flood. For until that day that Noah entered into the ark, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Right? They just thought that life was normal despite all the all the things they were doing against the plan of salvation and mixing these uh, species and and uh, listening to these fallen angels and so forth. Uh, and they didn't think that God. Now we know from ancient uh, Jewish traditions and in, in the. Uh, and ancient Jewish sources that they had created machines to control the weather. So they could control the weather because, again, the advanced technology that these angels brought down from the heavens as a result for allow, for the for the man of the earth, for allowing their daughters to marry them, they, the exchange, the deal was that they would bring this advanced technology to the earth, which they did. So this advanced technology helped them, including control the weather. So they were not worried about Noah building an ark, thinking that and, and prophesying that a flood was going to come because they thought they could control the weather. They failed to realize, as our ancient Jewish sources say, that God was behind it, right? And so, you know, that's why they couldn't, even with their great technological advances, they could not control the weather as well as they thought they could. If God was behind it, he could still destroy the world with a flood, which he did. 
And you can read a lot more about that in the footnotes of uh, Hugh Nibley's Enoch the Prophet and, uh, and in that great book that uh, Hugh Nibley wrote. Okay, so uh, we got that here. And then he says, um, and, and verse 43, And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so then we get the rapture of the church here. At, um, in verse 44, um, 45, two shall be grinding at the mill, the one taken and the other left. And what I say unto one, I say unto all men, watch. Therefore, for you not know at what hour your Lord doth come. So going back here to these Second uh, Thessalonians, that the rapture of the church, that the saints will be caught up into the heavens, into the clouds to meet Jesus as he's coming in these clouds, right? In these vehicles, right? We'll be caught up to these vehicles as the Jesus and his angels are coming in the vehicles and uh, then come land and take over and be crowned as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So uh, rapture of the church here. Okay, so now let's look at um, 48 through 55. Therefore be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat and due season? So again, this idea that not only can you become an angel and go forward throughout the universe um, uh, delivering messages from God, but no, he's going to make you rulers. He'll make you kings and queens to God. Another word for that would be gods and goddesses. They are interchangeable, king and queen is interchangeable with God and goddess. You'll be rulers, right? 50, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him engaged in the work, engaged in sharing the gospel. And verily I say unto you, he shall make him ruler, king, priest, God, over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord is delaying his coming. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he's not looking for him. And in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder. Again, the real Jesus Christ, real Jesus alert, right? Cut him asunder, all his threatenings all the time. He will deliver. As he said earlier, his words shall not pass away. So when Jesus is talking about burning people and chopping them into half and cutting off their heads and all this sort of stuff. That is literal. That will be fulfilled here in this case. And shall cut him asunder, cut him in half. Sounds wonderful. Right? And shall appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And thus cometh the end of the wicked, according to the prophecy of Moses, saying, they shall be cut off from among the people, but the end of the earth is not yet. But by and by, so it's not yet the end of the world. This is just the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is what happens when Jesus comes back. Then there'll be a 1,000 year period of millennium. Then there'll be another, uh, as Bruce R. McConkie stated in his Millennial Messiah, and he's probably right about it, is that there'll be then another 1,000 years. So when Christ came in the meridian of time, the middle of time, you got to be after 4,000 years, then it'd be 4,000 after his coming, right? So it's now been 2,000, 
and we know we're getting close to the millennium. That's going to be for a thousand. So then this uh, season is going to be for probably for another thousand years in which Satan will get together all his advanced technology that he would develop at that point of time to try to once and for all fight and kill God in which he's going to lose in this great Magog. It's pretty amazing when you think about it, as fast as technology has been growing in the last hundred years. And that may be due again, as we looked at earlier, due to the release of the uh, watchers of heaven. As fast as we've been growing for a thousand years, we didn't make any technological process and progress. All of a sudden, last hundred years, boom, we're moving so quick, right? But we're going to continue at that speed and speed, maybe even accelerate and accelerate. During the millennium, though, Jesus will personally be here as they continue to develop even greater and greater technology. So by the time that after the thousand years and Jesus goes back up into heaven, then Satan's going to spend another thousand years putting together his armies with this advanced technology even growing more. So oftentimes, you know, if you just basically, if you think about it for a moment, you think Satan must be crazy. How, how dare he think he can take on God? Well, He's going to think that. He's still delusional. But it's because of this great technology and technological advances that's going to still happen for the next couple of thousand years. We're talking a couple of thousand years further as, as a technology in the future. He's going to use that to try to fight against God. That's what makes him delusional to actually think he can take on God and win. But we see the fire come down from heaven, destroy his armies, and Satan will be locked up. And the and the bottomless pit forever and ever at that point of time is book of Revelation. We'll look at that later on when we get to Revelation this year. Okay, so what a powerful pack the uh, informational pack Matthew 24. Let's look now at Matthew 25. Okay, so Matthew chapter 25, and we've got verse 1 through 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, this is the one that everybody likes, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with the lambs. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. We've seen that this is what Jesus will say to multiple groups of people, including the false uh, religious leaders of our own day as well as those from former days. You had 10 virgins here, five were prepared. They had oil. They'd been anointed with oil in the temple of God. They had joined the fullness of the gospel truth, God's full uh, full Christian church. 
The others had not. The others worshipped the bridegroom. They, they, they had a form of worship of Jesus, but they were not anointed in the temple. They had not made covenants with God to enter into his presence. Therefore, when the bridegroom came, they were not ready. So they frantically try to run out and try to become a member of the church right away. Too late. The doors have been shut. Jesus does not know you. You refused to accept him while you lived on the earth and when you had an opportunity to hear his true gospel and to come unto him, but you rejected it, rejected it, refused to have oil in your lamps. You just wanted a lamp and to worship Jesus and you, according to your own uh, uh, manner of wants and desires. But that was not sufficient. You did not have the oil. You are therefore cast out from the presence of God forever and ever. Jesus does not know you. That's the parable of the virgins. Let's look at the parable of the talents. Next one's parable of talents. We've seen this in prior weeks as well. So, you know, basically uh, Jesus comes here. He gives people talents to serve him and serve the church. He gives five to one, two to another servant, and one to another, right? And so in verse 20 to 21, and so he came, and so he that had received five talents came and brought another five talents, said, Lord, you gave me five talents of ability. I used that to bring five other talents. Thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee, what? Ruler, not messenger, not angel. I will make you a ruler. I will make you a God. I will make you a king. I will make you a priest. Whatever you want to use for that role, for that calling, I'm going to give you the ability to rule in the household of Israel, to rule in the kingdom of heaven. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So now they go to the one with two talents, and he made two talents more, 22 to 23. He also that had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. As Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee what? A messenger, uh, an angel, one sitting on the clouds with a harp or a flute. <laughs> no, I will make you a ruler, a god a king, a priest, over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now watch 25 through 30. He goes to the one that he was given one talent, but he didn't do anything with it, did he? As And I was afraid, in verse 25, and went out and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, here it is, right? <laughs> His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked Jesus again, always using name-calling to reprimand the wicked and the slothful servants. Here he calls them a wicked and slothful servant. Thou knowest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Could have at least taken it to the bank and earned interest on it, but you didn't even do that. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him that has ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given more. And he that hath abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. 
and cast ye this unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The real Jesus alert here, real Jesus, right? So next we've got 31 through 46. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him again on these flying vehicles, then shall he sit upon his, the throne of his glory, right? So a lot of people also, with a lot of researchers and scholars would view this once again, direct reference again to his flying vehicle. We know the context of this, we just saw in Matthew 24, is the clouds of heaven. So he's coming on these flying vehicles with the angels. Now they call the flying vehicle again because it can't doesn't have the proper vocabulary to describe it. We still don't even today. We call them what we see now if, if that's what they're, what we're talking about. You know, it's unidentified, <laughs> unidentified flying object. Or now the government's trying to call them unidentified aerial phenomena, right? Because <laughs> again, we don't we still don't have the vocabulary ourselves to describe what's being seen and witnessed by millions of people around the earth, right? And we don't even know if that's exactly what they're talking about here, but at least that gives us a frame of reference, just like chariots and clouds did in the days of the Bible. So these objects today give us at least a frame of reference to try to think, you know, this is what God's talking about. But um, so the, his throne, right? His throne of glory as he's coming, flying in here with the clouds of heaven, right? Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, in verse 31. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another. So as he comes in on his throne of glory, lands on the earth with his angels and their 20,000 plus flying chariots, uh, then they will then divide the sheep and the goats. And he shall, in 33, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What a great scripture that is. Meaning that God so loved mankind that he prepared his kingdom from the beginning, even before you were tested to see if you were going to accept him into your life. If you were going to become a baptized member of his church and kingdom, he already created the kingdom of heaven to reward you. Marvelous to think about. 35, for I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came unto you? And the King Jesus shall answer and say, Verily, or another word for verily, truly, right? Truly I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren. Now, that is conditional, right? Who's his brethren? The members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The members of his church are his brethren. We're not just talking about, well, it's a good thing to help feed the hungry and all these things to everybody on the earth. He's talking in particular here, those who are members of his church, his brethren. 
So as verily I say unto you, and as much as you have done to one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So once again, real Jesus alert. That's how Jesus is. That's how Jesus talks to people. Again, always name calling and, and condemning and threatening. Depart from me, ye cursed. He could just he could just say depart from me, right? And <laughs> depart from me, right? But depart from me, ye cursed. He always has to add that name calling in there. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye did not take me in. Naked, and ye did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and ye did not visit me. Then shall they also answer him and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto you? Then shall they answer them saying, truly, I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it, not to one of the least of these, his saints, the members of his church, you did not do it to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. The context of this is the gospel starting to spread in first century, first century AD, starting to, it's going to start being spread throughout the known world at the time. The Christians, the members of his church, his brethren are going to be persecuted. They're going to be fed to lions. They're going to be lit on fire. They're going to be crucified, killed beheaded, killed in many ways, suffer all kinds of things. And he's saying, look, if instead of doing that to them, if you do that to them, you're doing that to me. And if you don't take care of these saints of God that are members of my church, you're you're refusing to serve me. But if you take and, and take care of a member of my church, if they're poor, hungry, naked, so forth, then it's as though you did it unto me. Powerful chapter 25, once again, as most chapters of Jesus Christ are. Let's look now at, now Mark is part of the lesson here, 12, Mark 12, 13. But we've already covered that in the last couple of last couple of weeks with what we've already looked at today. It's Mark's version of those same things. So again, that would be nice reading for you to read. Because not only does it teach the same things, but by reading it a second time, you, be, you continue to begin to learn these things. And if you will read Mark 12, 13, thinking about what we've covered the last couple of weeks and including today, then, you know, you'll be greatly benefited, a bit, bit benefited therefrom. So we'll move now to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 21. And we'll look at 25. So Luke 21, chapter 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. We already saw that earlier in Matthew 24. As the earth goes back to revolving around Kolom, it will look like the stars are falling from the heavens. It will look like the sun has been darkened and the, you know, and the, the moon and so forth, just as we saw in Matthew 24. So here in Luke 21, 25, there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth. Distress of nations were perplexity. The sea and the waves will be roaring. 
men's hearts, failing them, heart attacks out of fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. 27, here we go again. And then they shall see the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, coming in a singular cloud, right? With power and great glory, right? Because here they're not mentioning the angels with him. We already seen angels are coming. Here Luke is trying to focus that Jesus Christ is coming on a cloud. Right? <laughs> Once again, he's not flying on a literal cloud, not one of the clouds you see outside your window, right? But something that an ancient person would describe looks like a cloud that's going to transport Jesus back to the earth. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And now 34 through 38. Well, verse 33, let's start 33. Once again, he's testifying, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Again, giving his own testimony that his words, including that he himself will be flying in the cloud back to the earth to render judgment and to separate the sheep and the ghosts, those shall be fulfilled. 34, and take heed to yourself so that any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. Once again, reference to the word of wisdom. You should avoid the wine and strong drink, as the Bible teaches, and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to be able to stand before the Son of Man. Notice that powerful verse, right? That you can stand confidently in the presence of God. 37. And in the day and in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out. So this is the last week. That's what he would do. He'd come in the daytime, teach, and go out at night, and abode in the mountain that is called Mount Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. What a great verse. How many of you would be willing to wake up early in the morning to hear the words of God, the words of Jesus Christ? Yet we have them, don't we, here in the Bible? And we've got them in other scriptural, in other scriptural books as well. We have the words of Jesus Christ, don't we? And so how many of us wake up in the morning before, you know, early enough before getting ready to go to work or school or whatever we do for the day to read the scriptures, to read the words of Jesus Christ, right? We should have that attitude of these people wanting to get up early to hear the words of Jesus Christ. So my challenge going forward would be to make scripture reading more part of your lives, to look ideally to read them daily. Uh, whether in, early in the morning or late at night, it, just as important late at night, right? Before you go to bed, extend your bedtime a few minutes to hear and read the words of Jesus Christ, right? So ideally you should do both, right? Remember Joshua, I'll meditate on the law day and night, right? Morning and evening, that would be the best. 
but at least minimally either the morning or the night, right? So whether you stay up late to hear the words of Jesus or get up early to hear the words of Jesus, ideally get up early and stay up late to read the words of Jesus Christ. I know God will pour out his spirit upon you. I know as the great promise there we read earlier today that you shall not be deceived. If you instruct yourselves in the word of God, reading daily from his word, ye shall not be deceived when false teachers claim to be Christian that are in Christian in name only, proclaim to be Christian and teach you false things that are not Christian doctrine, that are not what the Bible teaches, biblical doctrine. You flee from those once you recognize that they're not telling you the truth. You flee for refuge into Christ's true church upon the earth, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The only church in which Jesus Christ himself is declared is his true and living church upon the face of the earth. For those of you not yet members of the church, we extend you an invitation directly from the Lord Jesus Christ himself to come, come unto him, come unto his church and kingdom. I will put in the description of this video a link to click on to reach out to the missionaries of the church. Let them know you're ready to take upon yourselves the name of Jesus Christ to become a Christian, an anointed one being baptized by those who hold the priest and authority of God, and then being anointed with oil, as he said here with the parable of the virgins. There you are a Christian being anointed. Christ comes from chrism, meaning anointed one. You can become an anointed one, a true Christian, if you follow this course of action. For those of you who have fallen in activity in the church, we welcome you with wide open arms. Come back. Come back to the Lord. Come back to his church. Come back and be once again a member and a full participating member in his church and kingdom of God upon the earth. In closing, we once again testify to you and bear witness of the truth of these things of which we've testified and studied and read and taught today. These things are true. They are glorious truths. And what, what joy they should give to your heart and soul when you think upon them and study and learn them. In closing, we pray God to bless you and all that you need. We bless you with health. Those of you who are sick, that are suffering horribly and through horrible diseases or horrible injuries, we ask God to bless you, to bring you to conditions of healing and peace and joy once again in your lives. For those of you who have no food to eat at the present moment, we pray that as you come unto the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he will open the windows of heaven and pour out food upon you that you will have food to eat and enough to spare. So will he bless you in your lives. For those of you who are struggling financially right now, we pray that God will bless you once again, to open the windows of heaven to give you basic financial resources so that you can carry out the plan that God has for you in your lives. Of him we testify and send this video out to the thousands who will watch this in the years to come. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.